Welcome back to another episode of Live in the Visions. As we get started, a reminder that some topics we discuss may be a trigger for some, and I want to provide a warning to those who may be sensitive to the subject matter of domestic violence and abuse, so that you can make a decision whether this episode is right for you at this time. Please make sure to make time for self-care after you listen. This week, my guest is Lori, a domestic abuse survivor. Lori and I met through an online women's group, and she has courageously offered to share her story. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. I just, um, we were just talking before we hit the record button that we belong to this women's group uh, here in Cleelum, where we're both from in Washington, uh, Washington State. And it's been such a blessing to belong to this group of amazing women that are so supportive. And that's how we met of all places. Like we've, we've yeah. never seen each other. Today's the first day that we've seen each other's faces. And um, it's just been such an uplifting group to belong to. So thank you for, for agreeing to be on the podcast. Yeah, it is a great group. So we had, like I said, we haven't met in person and I have not heard your story prior to our, our conversation today, other than a few sentences you sent me when we were scheduling this podcast. Um, so you did share with me that your story took place 37 years ago. So would you mind sharing a little bit of your story with us? Yeah. Um, well, from, I don't know, from the age of about 20 on my mom, uh, she was older when she had me. And so maybe her values were a bit different, but about when I hit about 20 is when she started pouring on the, you're going to be a spinster if spinster, if you don't get married. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I was enjoying life and, um, the dating game of, trying to find that one for you for the rest of your life. And um, a Navy man came into my life and I really thought he was the one. He had um, some anger issues, but nothing I that really alarmed me. Um, I had, you know, heard and seen a little bit of domestic violence in my, in my life, never in my own home, but through some other friendships and whatnot. And that was never going to happen to me. In fact, I um, got a really successful job and uh, was was in my career. I had bought my own house by then, and our life was going quite well. And uh, so he asked me to marry him, and everything was moving quite along. My mom didn't seem overly excited about him, but she also wanted me to be married. And so that was always a, a part of um, maybe mentally more that um, got me into this. And I'm not blaming my mom at all. That's not, that's not my intent here. It's just trying to please your parents probably throughout mm -hmm. life is what you do. Um, so we had a, a nice wedding, a nice reception, and he had just um, gotten out of the military and he lived in Michigan. And so we flew back to Michigan a lot of his family could not attend our wedding because of the distance. And so his family graciously had a little wedding reception for us when we got there. And I really don't know what I did other than the fact that I was ecstatic and happy and very thankful that they would do such a thing for us. And um, he came unglued. He 
you know, how dare you like my family more than they like me. <laughs> I, it was out of left field. I had no idea what was going on. And by the next morning, he had, um, well, that's when it, it started. Let's just put it that way. Um, so needless to say, now I have a 4,000 mile motorcycle. We are driving his motorcycle back for our honeymoon from Michigan to Washington. Uh, so I'm on the back of a, a motorcycle and um, it wasn't the greatest honeymoon. Uh, there was a couple more times during the, the trip that he hit me and, and I thought, wow, what, what have I done? What did I, what did I get myself into? And um, I had no control of our money or finances. I was, I thought, well, gee, if I got a plane ticket or something to get out of this situation, I could get home to my family. But he went and got, at that time, they were um, money orders or whatever you'd get and um, for cash. And then we, that's all we had. We didn't really have a credit card or anything. And so he had control of all those things. And, and I can just remember one time that, I just thought, well, if I just let go, I'll, this will all end. And mind you, I'm like five days into this married life. And um, it, was a, it was a low time for me, but I really feel like I had some guardian angels kind of holding me up from the back of the bike and telling me, just hold on, just, just hold on. You're, you're going to make it through this. And, um, you know, and then just going home to your family and, and kind of facing them with, I get, I guess I kind of felt like what a mess have I created in my life. Um, so we didn't make it back. And of course, everybody, how was your honeymoon? That's always the first question. And, and I just broke down and cried and told my mom it was, was really horrible. And I think at that time, she probably thought, you know, being from that era that, um, you know, for a young woman, there's a lot of other expectations in a, in a marriage. Mm-hmm. She thought that that's what I was talking about. Um, it wasn't of course. And uh, so I shared a little bit about what had happened and she said, well, you made your bed, you have to lay in it. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and once again, my mom was a very loving, wonderful person. It's just that the era 37. Yeah. I think back then it was, you know, you get married, you get married for life, right? No matter the circumstances, divorce was not an option. No. And you don't bring shame on your family. You know, you, you made this, this decision. And so it wasn't, um, you know, I don't have really a timeline, but uh, the abuse continued, the isolation continued, um, it didn't take long before all my friends were told that they weren't allowed to come over um, and they didn't understand, but they got tired of calling and asking, you know, Hey, you want to go do something? And I would, you know, make up an excuse or not typical abuser never hit me in my face. So um, nobody really knew what was going on. There was one incident where I had a black eye, but I, you know, of course lied and made up the story that a rake hit me and, and um, everybody had a good laugh about that. But, you know, you, for some reason, you always protect the abuser. And um, 
So there was uh, one incident where he beat me pretty good. So I was able to, I worked for the government in a secure location. And so he couldn't get into my place of work. And so it was kind of like my refuge. Mm -hmm. So I could get to work and I actually got to drive on base. And so um, I left from work and went to my sister's and shared what had been going on with her. And of course she wanted to protect me and keep me safe. And of course he found me and, and did the typical, I'm so sorry, I'll never do this again. And, you know, you mean everything to me and I don't know what was wrong with me at the time, but you know, just the whole, you know, story, song and dance. And I went back and um, this happened. I don't know, two or three times where the, you know, rinse and repeat. And uh, to the point where my sister finally said, I can't do this anymore with you. And that's when I was like, I'm all alone. Mm -hmm. I I have no friends now. I have a family that I know loves me, but it's too hurtful for them to watch me go through this and um, and emotional. And so I was I, I, I was on my own. And um, the night that I left him, well, there was one other incident, which still to this day surprises me, but it doesn't. Um, he had uh, chased me with a knife. I, I, I don't know if he was going to stab me with it or what, but I got myself down to my car and locked in the car for safety. And this poor little neighbor boy came walking by with this scene going on and he saw him with the knife in his hand and, and, um, and of course uh, my husband told this little boy to mind his own business and he better get home. And so he did, but for the life of me, I just never know why he didn't tell his parents or he didn't get help, you know, and that I think now in this, this time, you know, present day, I would think kids are more educated and he was probably scared. Very mm-hmm. scared. Um, but, you know, you, the one thing is you can't rely on anybody else to get this, to get help. You, you have to do it yourself. And it was another kind of an awakening. Oh, my goodness, my neighbors aren't even going to help me. So once again, more isolation. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the arguments, the one that probably shakes me the most is, you uh, I had always, I had taken a self-defense class in, when I was younger and I started trying some of those things on him to, to survive. And of course he was bigger and stronger and, and uh, they, they didn't work. Um, but I was, you know, I, I heard the typical, you know, if you, if you're really in trouble, just hit a guy where, you know, it counts and that'll, that'll do it for you. And I was at that point, I thought, well, I don't really have a choice here. I have to get out of this house. He's, he's going to hurt me bad this time. And I did that. And he was so angry that he went down and he came right back up and he got me under my chin. And I literally flew through two sections of my household. Mm-hmm. I hit the floor so hard, but right beside me, because he hit me through the kitchen into our utility room. I hit so hard that um, I pretended like he knocked me out because I knew if I, I didn't, Mm-hmm. it would have been even worse. Um, the, the interesting part is right next to me was the ax that we used to cut our firewood with. 
and it was blade up, I would have landed on that. Once again, I think my guardian angels were watching out for me, maybe pushing me a little bit out of the way or something. But um, so I acted like I was passed out and he shook me and shook me and shook me. And, and it's probably what saved my life. It's just, you know, doing that. Um, when I knew that he'd finally settled down, I'd probably be okay to get up and run out of the house and, and then seek refuge somewhere in the yard. Um, but the night that I finally left, oh, meanwhile, we, I don't know how much of the story you really want. <laughs> as much as you're comfortable sharing with us. I mean, I know even since we've been on the call, like I, we talked about, you know, that you haven't shared this story a lot with people. And so, um, you know, it, it's can be nerve wracking and I want you to be as comfortable as you, as you want to be. It's as much as you want to share with us and as little as you want to share with us. I mean, you've already shared such, um, so much information already of your story and so much of your story. And I'm just in awe of what you had to go through. And I'm so sorry that you had to do this, um, that you had to go through that and, and find yourself in that situation without any, without any help. And, you know, 37 years ago, there wasn't, there wasn't help. I, I don't believe. Um, I mean, it seems like when I went through this even 10, 15 years ago, nobody talked about it. So it was, it was so much behind the closed doors. And like you said, he hit you, he knew not to hit you in the face or where it was going to show. Um, and right. so, you know, who's, who will believe you even when you tell them, because 37 years ago, domestic violence, domestic abuse, wasn't even a topic that was ever talked about. I'm sure. I heard comments like, well, she probably deserved it. Yes. Uh, a lot of that, especially from men. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you do? What did you do to provoke him? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah, that was exactly it. Um, I remember early on um, in our marriage, I took our marriage certificate and I ripped it up and threw it in our fireplace because it just made me feel like I had some control. Yeah. And, and he said, you can do whatever you want with that marriage certificate. You are mine. You're my property and you're legally mine now. And I can do with you with what I want. Mm. And, um, you know, he did come from an abused home himself. I find out, I found out more and more pieces of his life as he, his, his mom and I became um, close. Interesting story um, about, oh, I don't know, maybe four or five years after our divorce, he, uh, his mother reached out. She couldn't reach out directly to me because I wouldn't give her that information, but she could reach out through my sister and um, got a hold of my sister, which then got a hold of me. And so we had a conversation. And by now I'm remarried to the man I'm still married to. Wonderful, wonderful man. And we have our first child. And, um, you know, my life is, you know, on track again. And, um, so she reaches out and she asked if I would testify in court for her. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, I don't want to mention his name, but he, uh, he actually um, was now on the police force. And uh, he was, she felt that he was working a case against her 
to actually be able to kill her and get away with it. Mm. And she said, I just need someone in my corner that has seen his abuse and that has lived it. And if he does successfully kill me, I just wanted to reach out and know if that would be you. I had to say no. I was, you know, like I said, I was just married. We had our first baby and for protection for my own family, I, I couldn't, I couldn't help her. Yeah. As a domestic person, myself, a violent person, you know, in a, in that relationship um, prior with him, I felt like I should help her, but the fear is, mm-hmm. It's it's just overwhelming, you know. Um, Well, when you've been abused physically as much as you had been in your in your short marriage with him, um, you know that is that is our fear. That's so much of why we don't speak up as survivors when we're going through it because we are fearful. And I'm sure that he. I shouldn't say I'm sure. I can only assume that he probably threatened you. If you ever tell anybody, you know, a lot of the times abusers will threaten other family members. If you tell anybody, I'll kill your mother or your children or this or that. Um, So there's a lot of fear. If we do speak up, if we do help other survivors, um, if we do help other family members, and then I don't know, I'm when she didn't, knowing as a mother, knowing her son is doing this to you, then how do you turn around and help her when she wasn't there to help you? I mean, it had to be very conflicting of those thoughts. Like, well, why didn't you stand up for me and help me? You know, not that you didn't do it because of that, but I would assume that probably thought probably crossed your mind. Um, That's interesting. You'd say that I, it really never did. I, I felt that, you know, she told me so many times that it was the best thing that ever happened to him. And that, um, you know, she, I think she thought that I was, was helping him more than he was hurting me, maybe. Mm, okay. Um, you know, and I, as a mother now, I can, you know, if somebody came into my kids' life and helped them in a, in a time when, you know, and I don't know, maybe she, she carried a lot of um, guilt because the man she married was abusive and abused all three of her children, sexually, mm-hmm. her daughters. Um, so their home was not good. Like so there, said, there comes I that generation. Oops, sorry. Right. There comes that generational cycle yeah. of abuse again. Yep. Right. Right. And it was um, surprisingly that he didn't blame his dad. He blamed his mom because she mm-hmm. didn't get them out of there sooner. And <laughs> I just, that mentality was kind of crazy to me, but um, yeah. And he kind of looked at his dad as a hero and he found out later, you know, according to her that that wasn't the case, obviously, but um, he was so young and he had, he had also made up stories in his mind of things that happened. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe to justify more of his abuse for me, I don't know, but, or maybe to make me feel sadder for him or something but um I later would ask his mom about these things I said well it's terrible that this happened in his life and she would look at me like that never happened and I was like well he's pretty clear about this story you know and and she's like that never happened this is what happened but 
you know, I mean, as a child, to his defense, your, you know, whatever your mechanism is for coping is probably what, you know, sunk into his brain. I don't know, but yeah, well, that was his normal to be in an abusive household too. That's all he knew. That's what he witnessed. That's what he saw. And so that, that became his normal. And he didn't break that cycle when he uh, got into relationship and got into relationship with you in your marriage. And maybe that's how he, he saw his mom and dad is that his mom was now his dad's property. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, you talked about anger issues before you guys got married and I think it's important to talk about red flags because we all saw some type of red flags in our relationships before uh, we got into them and we chose to ignore them or we didn't understand what red flags were. Like I had no idea what they were because I didn't know there was such thing as domestic abuse. So I wasn't really sure what to look for, but I knew that it wasn't right. But like you, I didn't know how to get out of it. Um, On my wedding day, same thing. Um, There wasn't any abuse, uh, physical abuse on that day. But, you know, we flew thousands of miles away into the Caribbean to get married. And the night before the wedding, it was, I don't want to get married. Let's call it off. I don't love you. (laughs) And you're just like, but uh, where did this come from? You know, and what's going on here? And And then the next morning it's like, well, let's get married. You know, I I just had cold feet, but I don't want any pictures. I don't want any video. And you're just like, I didn't fly all this way to not have pictures of my video, you know? So my wedding day was totally ruined as well. And, you know, we did get married and put a smile on, you know, my face for the photos, but I was like, well, I'm staying here. Like you can fly back home, but the, you know, the trip's paid for. So I'm staying here. And of course, you know, I'm crying all night long and wake up the next morning and my eyes are all swollen for the pictures. And, you know, I just, we shouldn't have never gotten married. Um, but we were together for a long time and, you know, thought things would change and they never do. But you talk about the red flags. Uh, you talked about the anger issues and, um, I think I, I can't quote you because it was a while ago that we just talked about that, but you were like, oh, he had anger issues before we married, but they weren't that bad. Right. And um, I think in our minds, we do that like we the oh, he might just had a had a bad day at work or, you know, maybe he was tired or this or that. Or we start making excuses for their actions really before we understand that. Yeah, these are red flags that we probably knew that like deep down in our stomach as women, we tend not to listen to ourselves. We tend not to listen to what's going on. And we feel that palpitation in our hearts. We, we get sweaty. Um, you know, our palms get sweaty, but something goes off in our brain. That's, you know, like something's not right here. And we all seem to a lot of the times make excuses for that. And I'm sure that if looking back, uh, just like I can say, looking back, there were definitely red flags, um, more than just one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think education is so important to talk about what those red flags are. And like you yeah. said, he had, um, he, you know, he became unglued during the honeymoon. Um, he had your finances, even though you were very successful and had your own job and, um, 
he was still in control of those finances. Right. So, yeah. And for me to let him do that, I, it was just one of those things like, well, you know, you're working, he wasn't. Um, so why don't you just let me do these things? And, you know, it just all made sense. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, slowly but surely the isolation started well before we were married. I just didn't really see it. Right. Felt it, but he would justify it by, well, I just want to spend time with you. And, you know, these love phrases that were, you know, every girl wants to hear, yet they're filled with control, but you don't hear it. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know if you get what I'm saying there, but I um, do. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, yeah. And one crazy time in the car, I had just looked, I was driving and I looked over just to get over to the other lane. And he accused me of looking at the guy that was driving the car beside me and just came unglued. (laughs) And I was like, and I'm trying to justify, I'm like, I had to get the car over. I needed to look, you know, no, you were looking at that man. And right there, another red flag, just, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I only want you to have eyes for me. And I don't know why a woman would think that that's a compliment, but at the time it seemed like, wow, okay. You know, do you only have eyes for me? You know, I don't, I don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. impressionable as well. And yep. Young. Yeah. We were both really young. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Um, you talk about, um, you said that you tried to leave your abusive marriage several times. And so tell us what the deciding factor of, of that day that you actually decided to leave. I know you mentioned a little bit that he hit you across the room and was that the day or was, was there another incident? Like, what was it that we were like, enough is enough. I'm choosing me. Yeah. It um, (laughs) was kind of a crazy day. Well, it was kind of a crazy two months leading up to that working for the government, you work, you know, it, it never shuts down. So I was working graveyard shift um, for about two and a half months prior to the, the night that I left him. And when I would get home at eight thirty nine in the morning, you know, graveyard, you would normally go to bed and sleep until, you know, two, three, and then get up and start your, your day and then get up and you know, get ready for work and go. Uh, so about the first couple of nights on graveyard, everything was fine. And I was getting my sleep. And then he came in at 1030 in the morning and said, you need to get up. And I'm like, well, I, I just got to sleep. And he's like, well, why don't you want to spend time with me? Aren't I important enough? And I, and I knew those were trigger words. Mm-hmm. I knew if I said, well, I need my sleep to him, he's going to hear, oh, so you don't love me. Mm-hmm. Putting yourself before me. And so I said, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll get up. And so this went on for two and a half months of me getting about two hours to three hours a day of sleep. And I was very sleep deprived, which was actually a very good thing. I was a walking zombie. I, um, I hit it well at work. You know, you're working on graveyard, everybody's tired anyway, so that works. Um, but I was always taught if you said you hated somebody, you wanted them dead. That's the way I was raised. Hate was a word we never used in our home. It was, it was a curse word, put it that way. And so I just started mentally telling myself I hated him. I hate him. I hate him. But I didn't know how to get out. 
And uh, so um, one night he flipped out. Once again, don't know what happened. Um, he hit me and by, by now you're, you just instantly go to a ball position, right? You know, mm-hmm. all domestic violent women know that you just, here it comes, roll up in a ball, protect what you can, especially your head. And, um, and that's kind of where we were in, in our relationship at that point. So uh, he had gone into the bathroom because he felt bad, of course. And he came out of the bathroom and said, well, I, I just took a bunch of sleeping pills. <laughs> I'm in this out of left field. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I, I just feel terrible. And I'm like, well, well, why would you do that? And he says, because I just feel so bad for what I've done to you. And I was, I said, well, now, mind you, I'm a walking zombie. And right now I'm thinking, hallelujah. I'm sorry, but I was like, well, this is just going to happen naturally. Okay. Um, and anyway, he said, I said, well, you better go in and, you know, try to throw up because, you know, this is bad. And uh, so he goes, okay. So he goes in and I could hear him in there trying to throw up. He comes out and he's like, I, I, I can't throw up. I can't throw up. And I said, I go, you know, I kind of lied. I'm not a liar, but I lied and said, um, well, if I miss any more work, they're going to fire me. And I was there. I was our only source of income. So he said, well, well, okay, let me go try to throw up again. So he goes in the bathroom again, comes back out. I can't, I can't do it. And I said, well, then let me drop you at the hospital on my way to work. And I'll pick you up on my way home and they can pump your stomach. Because I knew if I didn't show that I cared, I mean, Academy Award acting here because I didn't, but he, it would have been way worse, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and he was like, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. And that right then told me he didn't take the pills. He was testing me. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you know, and then I kept, going, well, are you sure? Because yeah, I mean, I can call 911 right now. We can get, you know, get you to the hospital, you know, and I just really laid it on. And um, he said, no, I think I'll be okay. And I said, okay. And that's the night I left him. Uh, I called my mom the next morning. I went to a girlfriend's house that he didn't know of because I knew that he'd find me at my sister's. And so 12 o'clock at night, I knock on her door and, and, bless her heart. It was her birthday. And, um, she took her and her husband took me in and, and let me live with them for a couple months to get the thing settled. And, um, next day I called my mom and my sister and I said, can you go get some clothes and some things for me? Because I left with nothing. Um, I knew that I may never get any of the things I had back, but I still had my life. Um, they went over there about 1030 in the morning. He had all the curtains drawn. They said it was the eeriest thing they'd ever walked into. He was sitting on the couch waiting for me to get home. And he had all these sleeping pills lined up. And I 100% sure he was going to make me take those that next morning. Mm-hmm. That I killed myself. Um, once again, I think it was my guardian angels going, don't go back. Don't yeah. go back. You know, I, I, I can't speak for him, but it, it was a, my mom said it was the, 
weirdest thing she's ever seen in her life. Him just there in the dark with the curtains drawn with all the sleeping pills lined up. Um, so I was very thankful that I was able to get out and um, yeah, so that's my story. Oh, I have to take a breath after that. I mean, I can just, I can envision it because I've, I haven't been in that exact situation, but I can just envision, I can just see him sitting there on the couch in the dark and the pills on that table. I mean, it was just so, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, uh, I have to take a breath for you. Thank you. Um, you say the abuse only lasted six months, but the scar has lasted a lifetime. That was the last sentence that you uh, wrote to me in a message that you and I were going back and forth. And I think that that's so important for people to understand is this was 37, yeah, 37 years ago, this happened and it's, it's still imprinted. I bet you can see it like it was yesterday. Um, the mm-hmm. feel, some of the feelings you probably yeah, had I feel today. Like yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. Even 37 years ago, um, you know, the, the abuse was six months. You said it was probably, you know, maybe more or less than that or more than that, but that's what we remember. You know, it, 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 we don't always know exactly the exact amount of time, but whatever it felt like to us, that's, that's when it was. Um, but it brings up, it still brings up, you still probably, uh, you know, when us talking, having those triggers, um, my hands were getting sweaty talking to you because it brings back things for me when you talk about, you know, your honeymoon and, and um, how things were during your marriage and stuff. And so it's, it's not just, Hey, when we leave, we're over it. You know, right. there's so much, what people don't understand is there's so much um, emotional and psychological abuse that goes along with this. It's not just the physical abuse, the physical abuse, when it stops, it's those bruises, they go away. But like you said, it lasts a lifetime for all of us. I don't think I've met one survivor that is like, okay, I'm healed and I'm good. And this will, this will never impact me again in my life. Um, it's, it's a lot of work to heal. It's a lot of work to get into your, you know, you said you got remarried and had children and to, put that trust in someone again and not have those triggers or not have those memories or not have it affect your next relationship without taking the time to heal. It doesn't, the abuse didn't happen overnight and the healing's not going to happen overnight. Right. Um, but I just want to thank you for being so courageous and telling us about the most personal and terrifying intimate moments in your life, using our voices to share our stories and speaking out about a domestic abuse and education is key to breaking the cycle of abuse. So thank you again for, for talking with us today. And I look forward to more conversations that you and I will have in the future. You're so welcome. And I do want to add, um, and I'm sure a lot of domestic violent um, people, survivors, particularly, I have shared my story with so many other abused women and if that was the purpose, then I'm, I'm happy that I was able to be there for others. So if you are in a relationship, reach out and talk. It can be your neighbor. You don't know who these other women are, but it was 
I mean, I met two women in a parking lot. We just started talking about our kids. And pretty soon I found out that both of them had been in abusive relationships as well. And just start to talk. That's, I think that that's the healthiest thing. If you feel stuck, just start to talk. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. It is so true. And one of the reasons why I do this podcast is because it gives the opportunity for us to be able to talk and talk about it in a safe environment. Right. And thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This yeah, is- absolutely. It's my purpose and my passion of going through, <laughs> going through what I did. Like this is how I can give back and in my own way. So, all right. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Live in the Visions. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and leave a review to help me educate, empower, and help women envision a life without abuse. Education is key to breaking the cycle. If you or anyone you know is being abused, please reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline for support at 1-800-799-7233.